Are you making the right leadership decisions? Are you tracking the right metrics in ministry? Craig Rochelle is our guest today. This week, we discuss how the small decisions you make can have a monumental impact on your ministry overall. It's all in this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now, here's your host. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. Today, our guest is Craig Rochelle. He's the founding pastor of Life Church based in Edmond, Oklahoma. They have 26 locations in eight states, and their church is a culture-shaping church. They also launched the free YouVersion Bible app, which you probably have on your phone right now. Craig is also a New York Times bestselling author of many books, and his most recent book, Divine Direction, came out earlier this month. We'll be discussing that book together, as well as why small leadership decisions matter so much in ministry. We're talking about the right metrics to track uh, some important disciplines that Craig practices every day, aside from Bible study and prayer. And we're going to dig deep into his sermon prep as well. So lots of fun stuff to discuss in this. And we're going to jump right into the conversation now. Craig, it is so great to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast. Uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to be with us today. Hey, it's my pleasure, Brian. I love what you guys do. It's an honor to be with you today. Awesome. Well, hey, we're going to talk about a lot of things that deal with leadership, leadership influence, wisdom, um, practical wisdom from Scripture. It's going to be a great talk. I'm really looking forward to this. And I do want to mention that today we're actually talking on the day that your new book releases. So I don't think mm-hmm. we planned it that way, but today is actually February 7th. Um, and your new book, Divine Direction, Seven Decisions That Will Change Your Life, just dropped today in stores. So pretty cool stuff. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. And I wanted to jump right in, though, to ask you what was maybe different about this book and if it was easier or harder to write. And if you could share a little bit about the heart behind it, it would be great. Yeah, it's a good question. This uh, Divine Direction was, was a little bit more difficult than a lot of the books. And part of the reason is because it's See, to me, to make a book effective, you have to make it simple. And one of the big challenges that as a, as a pastor, I know there are a lot of pastors that listen, people ask all the time some version of the question, you know, what does God want for my life? And there's there's almost this massive fear or I think an illusion that there's this one perfect, you know, you have to make you know these perfect decisions to have to get in the perfect will of God. If you don't, you're going to miss it, and you know you're you're you've blown it for the rest of your life. And so, what I tried to do is really demystify that a little bit, and take it down and recognize that God doesn't talk a whole lot about our future. He doesn't talk in Scripture a lot about you know our career, but He talks a lot about character and calling. Yeah. And so, you know, if people look at your life, Brian, and say, okay, man, he's got a great ministry, a big influence, he must have made a few really big decisions to get there. You would say, no, it's not true. I may have made some big ones, but I made hundreds and hundreds of small, seemingly insignificant decisions that added up over a period of time, and that really made the big result. And so that's what I'm trying to do in the book Divine Direction is to help the reader see really a life of faithfulness is made up of hundreds of thousands of small uh, decisions that compound over time that actually lead us in in the right direction. It's it's not just the big things, but it's often the small things that no one sees that results in the big impact that everyone wants. And so that's my goal is to is to help the the reader be faithful in the small things consistently over time. And then I really believe we'll see a significant kingdom impact. I think that's great. And I, and I I would say and I finished the book, and uh, I'm always careful not to gush over different authors' books as well too. But there's lots, so many quotes and so many things that God spoke to me through that as well. And I feel Thank like you. just the book is 
it's about practical wisdom from scripture. Uh, and in one way, it's, it's a book for everyone who wants to you know, take that divine direction, be wiser in their decision-making and how they plan their days and how they plan their lives. But it's also a great leadership book, and it's equipping leaders to live a better story with deeper trust and faith in God. So I want to encourage our listeners to check it out and pick it up. I think um, there's a ton of takeaways. And, and again, like I think any time we spend to talk about how we plan out our days, the disciplines that we plug into mm-hmm. that, and even what we strip away— is so critical to leadership and so critical to ministry. So like you mentioned, some of those smaller decisions that we make over time can add up to a robust change and transformation mm-hmm. in our lives and our ministries in the future. And, and I think we often forget that. Um, it's kind of like that um, the, the New Year's resolution kind of feel where it's like, okay, if I don't do this huge thing, like run a marathon, then I'm, I'm a failure. And it's like, no, wait, these are smaller decisions that you dial back and and kind of prune your day with that can change things in a big way. And, and I love that kind of at the heart of this book as well. Yeah, thank you, Brian. Yeah, and so I want to talk about this too. Like, just uh, one of the major quotes I think from the book, and then we're going to jump into some ministry leadership um, aspects of of it as well. Is uh, you know the quote: "Your decisions today, both big and small, determine the direction your life will take tomorrow." Would love to. Mm-hmm. Could you just flesh that out for a little? How that plays out, and maybe give us a good illustration or example of that. Sure. You know, in in leadership, it's in, in every area of life, it's so important. You know, the decisions that we make today determine the stories that we tell tomorrow. And, you know, I guarantee you that there are people that are listening right now that have some type of decision to make. And if, you know, if we're really prayerful, get wise advice and make wise decisions, then step by step by step, we're going to move in the right direction. And what's so interesting to me is, you know, we are the result of our decisions. If you think about it, who we are, what we're able to do is a result of the decisions that we made in the past. And who we're becoming in the future is a result of the decisions that we're making in the present. But, you know, man, I don't know. I, I went all the way through seminary all the way through college, I didn't have a single class on decision-making. I didn't have, you know, my parents who were great people, they never sat down and said, you know, here's how you make wise decisions. This is one of the most important tools we have to be good at, and yet there's not a lot of direct information on it. You can find it if you go looking for it, but we don't come across tools naturally that teach us to be good decision-makers. And what I've kind of become obsessed with, the science of decision-making, the the spiritual nature of decision-making, because I recognize so many of my decisions, Brian, that I made permanent decisions based on temporary emotions. I would oftentimes, uh, as a leader, I would jump to conclusions and I would make decisions based on very, very limited information. And, you know, most of us, if we look back, we're like, I wish I didn't do that. I wish I had done that differently. Um, We're just not skilled decision makers. So I'd love it if you want to dive in and talk about just some of the different practical aspects of leadership. How do we grow? What are some practical resources that can help us be better decision makers as a leader? Because that'll not just impact our lives, but uh, impact the lives of those in our whole organization. Yeah, no, completely. And and I want to jump into that too. And I want to maybe start with talking about the current climate for pastors and pastoral burnout. Um, We know Mm -hmm. that Satan is out there. He wants to devour us. Um, And so, you know, pastors are, you know, prone to the same temptations of, you know, burnout, Work, you know, and overworking temptations, uh, you know, of lust and laziness and pride and things like that, and the daily decisions and the disciplines we make really help mm-hmm. safeguard us in the, many of those things. But I wanted to just get your input on, you know, first before we talk about dis- disciplines to kind of protect us and safeguard us, of like yeah. what you're seeing today, and do you think that there's that we're seeing more pastors uh, burn out and fall out and and kind of sidestep God's divine direction, or do you feel mm-hmm. like it's I mean, this is kind of what we see all the time, or is this day, is today different? 
No, I, I actually think today is different, and I'll tell you why. I think the church, the way we do church has significantly changed. And for example, in our context, uh, our church is 21 years old. The first 10 years of ministry, um, we only had one moral failure, and that was from a guy that came in from the outside having the failure, and within six weeks it came out here, he confessed it. And so it was a real clean organization. The last few years, um, we've had significant increase, and I think there's a lot of reasons to it. Some of the more common reasons, I think, would be this, that 20, 30 years ago, there was one service on Sunday morning, maybe two. Now, in our context, there's seven, eight, nine services at many of our locations, and it's really common. You know, most places there's going to be three or four in the listeners that we have right now. Oftentimes Saturday night, Sunday morning, sometimes Sunday night. And so what hap- what happened is we're just working longer hours on the weekend. We're away from family, and I think the work schedule. Um, we're over-programmed and we're busier. So that's one reason I think yeah. we're disconnected from others. The second thing is um, I think there's there's more temptation available than ever before. You know, just to feed your lusts, as we know, growing up when I was a kid, you had to find, you know, someone's dad's stash of magazines. And now everyone listening has access to anything they shouldn't see in their pocket right now. Uh, and so I think the, the access to temptation is real. The ability to connect uh, in a more private way um, socially with social media also fuels those temptations. And so I think when you add up all that, the, the increased workload, the stress, the, um, some, sometimes false intimacy from social media, not having real deep relationships, I think we're prime more for moral failures and for burnout. And so I think as leaders, we have to be incredibly intentional on the front end, and we've made massive and significant changes I could talk about if you want to at the church in order to counteract the cultural pull that takes us in the wrong direction today. But if we're not active on the front end making wise decisions, we could get sucked into a machine or a culture that ends up really, really hurting us. And it's in, unfortunately, as we know, you know, read the stories. They're, they're everywhere today. And, and we want to make sure we guard against those casualties um, with wisdom as often as we can. Definitely. And, and I would love to dig in in just a, a little bit of time on what are those changes that you've made. I think that would be really helpful to our listeners to think through that. Yeah. So we started with recognizing that our model of ministry had become difficult on marriages, meaning, you know, if one spouse works Monday through Friday and the other spouse is working at the church and then working you know, Monday through Thursday, plus all weekend long, they're not getting quality time together. And so we completely rearranged our weekend schedule. And now people work far less on the weekends than ever before, but we have far more services. And so we had to incorporate a lot more volunteers and just a real strict rotation schedule. So we rotate off more weekends than ever before. And even though we have more services, people work fewer services than ever before. So more impact, but less work was a big deal. Um, second thing is we just, we, we increased um, our premarital counseling for staff members, now mandatory, and um, everyone has a mentor. And so we're gonna help you do ministry well as a married couple on the front end. Anytime we're interviewing now, we're looking at interviewing the spouse as well. You have to have the spouse in it because that's such an important thing. We have free marital counseling for everyone on staff. Little things like we stopped having vacation days. Instead of saying you get two weeks vacation, we say we believe in you. 
take as much vacation as you need. If you know if you're going to go abuse it and take six months off, you know we, we're not going to hire a person like that. Sure. And so we're going to hire people we trust. We're not going to track your vacation days. If you need family time, we trust you to do it. And so those are a few of the examples going into it that you know we've made those changes to say. We'll invest in you in counseling. We're going to give you more time off. We're going to trust you. Um, we're going to help you prepare for marriage. If you have problems in marriage, we're going to um, work on it. And then the other thing that's really important too, Brian, is we tried to create a culture where it's safe to confess sin early. And here's the reality is we're all going to do something wrong at times. It may be you know, someone looks too long at the opposite sex in the gym or someone stumbles upon a website and spends 10 minutes looking at something inappropriate. In, in a lot of church cultures, if we create a climate where we hide things and there's no safe place to confess early, sin grows best in the dark. And I've said before, you're only as strong as you are honest. We have to be honest and have a safe place to say, man, I'm feeling tempted. I'm, I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm afraid. And creating a culture where there is a safe place, there is a road to saying, hey, I could be getting in trouble. Help me now rather than um, I'm going to struggle on my own, get deeper into sin, and be in big trouble later. And that's just so we're real clear. Here are the parameters. If you come forward with this, this, and this, you're not going to be fired. You're going to have counseling and help. And we're going to. Ha- and and the great thing is, we've had several, um, quite a few staff members come forward and say, "Here's where I'm hurting. I'm hurting financially, or I've looked at something I shouldn't look at, or." You know, I'm tempted in this way, and we're able to bring healing, restoration, coaching, stronger discipleship, and salvage people that I think otherwise the enemy could have taken out. Hmm. It's really important because in church world, we often are afraid to confess our sins when that's the very thing we need to do is confess to one another we find healing. And yet our cultures often encourage us to do the exact opposite. If anyone knew, I might be fired. So we have to take away that fear. I mean, there's certain things that, you know, you cannot do or you're disqualified, but we want to, we want to be really, really clear. We are on your side of the table. None of us are perfect. We want to help you be conformed to the image of Christ as you help us. And so let's do it together um, and, and not be afraid of really being transparent and vulnerable. No, I think that's amazing. And I think with all of that, like, as you mentioned that it's, there's a cost to the church, um, both financially and, you know, I mean, um, Absolutely. In other ways, in leadership, you know, time, there's a big cost to those commitments to your staff mm-hmm. to do that. And I think it's really important to recognize that. But it's, like you said, amazing. It's, it's about the culture that you're building to build a culture that is a safe space, but is really vigilant about what really matters in leadership. We, ha- we have to do it. We have to do it today or, or we will be in trouble. Yeah, I think that's incredibly wise. And uh, I know many of our listeners you mean, are, are thinking through what does it look like for them. I think it's really helpful that you shared that, so I appreciate it. I also want to ask um, next, like you personally, um, mm-hmm. how do you safeguard your leadership? What are the things that you have around you? What are the most important things that, that help you from um, stumbling in a way I mean, that, that gets off that path as well? Mm-hmm. Well, we have to be really honest about where we're vulnerable, and that's you know not easy for leaders to be. And so you know, one of the things, if we're successful, we have we have to admit we're vulnerable to pride. And, you know, I don't, don't like to think of myself as a prideful person, but I am vulnerable to pride. And so I've got to have people that speak into my life and call me on it. I also, you know, before I was a follower of Jesus, I was, um, I was involved in lustful activities. And so, you know, I'm vulnerable to look at something that I shouldn't look at. 
it, that could happen. It's, at my age now, I'm not nearly as vulnerable as I was 15 years ago. Um, unfortunately yeah. or fortunately, things <laughs> things do change. But still, in a weak moment, I could find myself doing something that I would regret. And yeah. so on the, the, the way I phrase it is this, Brian, why in the world would I resist a temptation in the future that I have the power to eliminate today? Hmm. Let me say that again, okay? Why would I resist a temptation in the future that I have the power to eliminate today? So on my computer and on my different devices, I have predetermined to have safeguards that you know there would keep me from being more vulnerable when I'm tempted, and that's just a great thing. It's not that I'm strong uh, always, but it's that I want to be wise always, and so I'm going to put certain safeguards uh, in place. I want to be also a leader that really encourages and allows and enables people to tell me the truth. And this is just, you know, all your leaders listening, no matter if you're leading a youth group of, you know, eight kids or a multi-site church or a big business with, you know, thousands of people or whatever. When you're the leader, people often tell you what they think you want to hear. Yeah. And we are so vulnerable. We can become the emperor with no clothes so quickly. We, we don't just want to surround ourselves with people that will tell us the truth, but we have to foster a culture of feedback where we model it more than anybody else. We set the tone for craving, needing, receiving feedback, not just receiving it, but actually embracing it, taking it, making positive changes. And then we create a culture that can do it everywhere. If we, you know, if we don't have people that'll tell us the truth, we are very much in trouble. And that's one of the things I see with, you know, a lot of my peers is, you know, ultimately over time, you know, we end up surrounding ourselves by people that tell us what we want to hear. And we do not grow. We do not get better. Our organizations don't succeed when, we're, when we have that type of a culture. Yeah. And I think that penchant for, you know, I mean, telling leaders what they want to hear is, like you said, it's it's there in the small, you know, I mean, church of 20 people. Anywhere. And in the Anywhere. large church, there's always that presence of power that allows people to filter the messages. And I think it takes a, a wise leader to understand when that filtering is happening and to dig deeper and create that culture, like you said, of honesty. Absolutely. Yep. Excellent. So what I want to do now is um, jump through a couple of different things. We're going to talk about personal growth, staff and team, a little bit about culture. I'm just going to ask some more rapid fire questions. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll kind of give you these. Um, you can jump into them real quick and answer them. You don't have to, to develop them too deeply. But the uh, first one is just what is your the first 30 minutes of your day look like for you? When you wake up, first 30 minutes, what happens? First 30 minutes, I, I get up, I do my Uversion reading plan. I um, This is kind of silly. I eat a uh, protein shake. I have a little bit of oatmeal with a few blueberries in it. I shower and I get to the office as fast as I can. That's it. The first thing I do at the office is I go through a, um, a list of daily confessions. This is a discipline I've had for a little over a year. I'll read you a, a couple of mine. It, I'll tell you a couple of mine. I'll sure. just say this. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify him. I love my wife and I lay down my life to serve her. My children will love God and serve him with their whole heart. I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for his kingdom than they can imagine. I love people. I believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day because of Christ. My family is closer. My body is stronger. My faith is deeper. My leadership is sharper. That's about uh, one-fifth of what I say every single day. And what I what I do there is you know, that to me is as special as my Uversion Bible time. And that is just aligning my mind with what I believe to be true because I get tired. I get discouraged. 
you know, after 21 years of leading this church, sometimes I think, you know, my best days behind me. And you know, I tell myself, no, my, my words, my thoughts, my imagination are under the power of Christ. I take all thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. I develop leaders. That's not something I do. It's who I am. I am creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I'm called by God to reach people far from God. I say it over and over again every single day, and it just gets inside of me. I, I believe that's you know, akin to renewing your mind and um, um, saying out loud um, the truth that I want to believe about myself. And that just, that energizes me, that focuses, and that's it. That's my discipline that gets me going, and, and then I attack the day. That'll preach right there. I love it. Those are great. Yeah, thank you. For sure. Uh, let, let me ask you this too, like, apart from Bible study and prayer, what are maybe mm-hmm. two disciplines that are really critical to a successful day or week for you? Well, exercise to me is, I mean, I hope people don't criticize this, but it's its up there with Bible study and prayer. It's almost spiritual to me, and I don't think it, that has to be that way for everybody, but it's when my mind turns off and my body kind of releases stress and it helps me to sleep. The other thing that I didn't do for years, I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you I didn't do for years, but the very simple thing of praying with my wife is a really big deal. Mm. I didn't pray with her because, you know, to be honest, she like it takes her 20 minutes to warm up in the prayers. You know, like you know, it's like she prays forever. You know, and so all day long I do spiritual stuff, and I kind of wanted to come home and disconnect. And what I found is that that one little discipline, and it's a pretty short prayer before I leave for the office every day, but it's an amazing tool of spiritual intimacy um, in our lives. And so those are a couple of things that, that are really meaningful to me. Um, you know, I'll work out six or seven days a week, and I'll, I'll pray with Amy every day that we're home together, and, and those things make a big difference. That's awesome. I think the, the real truth about wanting to disconnect in ministry and you know, when you come home, I think that's a real big issue for a lot of us. <clears throat> and I think, like you said, breaking that barrier of going, hey, this is important here just as much <laughs> as it is there, and, uh, and not making that disconnect is, is really important. Well, it too. is. And that, that was a sad thing for me as I really did want to turn that off when I came home. And that's a really big mistake. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I have to do Bible studies at home every day. But the thing I had to learn is I do need to reveal what God is doing in my life to my wife, or it really breaks our spiritual intimacy. And so um, being intentional about incorporating that in the home is, I mean, uh, it's like, duh, of course it's important. Yeah. But sometimes as pastors, we don't do that well. Yeah. Awesome. Next question. Uh, like we're just uh, barely into 2017, but one book you could recommend that you've read so far in 2017 that's had an influence on your life. Doesn't have to be ministry related. Could be any book at all. Okay, I'm going to pull up my Audible. I'm, I'm, I can't give you just one book. I'm going to give you a bunch. Okay, um, even better. I, I re-listened to the Leadership Challenge by Kuzna and Posner. That's a classic. I yeah. just re-listened to Creativity Inc. Love it. Um, I'll tell you what, spiritual-wise, The Will of God as a Way of Life by Jerry Sitzer was phenomenal. Um, The Ideal Team Player by Lencioni, the last third of the book is worth, um, is incredible. Those are my most recent favorites. Yeah, those are great. Those are great. And uh, dialing back real quick, when you're working out in the gym, what do you listen to? Is it mainly audiobooks or do you listen to music too? Uh, both. If I'm by myself, generally audiobooks, and like I have a little gym at home I work out in with, and then I've got a buddy I've worked out with for over 20 years, and that's just the gift where I am cr- purely Craig Rochelle, not Pastor Craig, and we talk about anything and everything, and that's that's a uh, that's Very a cool. gift time. Just the friendship time is really really big to me. That's awesome. 
Hey, I'm going to slip into sermon prep. I'd like to know, yep. like, what does your sermon prep look like? How many hours you spend? Any prominent tools? And is it consistent every week? My, yeah, my sermon time is real consistent, maybe even almost too consistent. Uh, what I try to do is I try to outline a message series before it starts. And so, like right now, I'm teaching on divine direction, and I'm doing all new content that's not in the book. Uh, and I'll start the message series this weekend. And so I've got all four weeks outlined, meaning about 80% of the work is done on building it. What's interesting is, and this may sound confusing, but I've got about half the time on it, but it's about 80% finished. And by that, I mean, it's, it really is about 80% finished, but the polishing part which is the last 20% takes me about half as much of the time as it does to build it. Gotcha, that, yeah. Uh, that probably is confusing the way I said it, but it, you know, I spend about half the time working on really um, not just the content, but trying to make it interesting. And the reason is because people's attention spans are so short today that I, I feel like I have to work a little bit or a lot more to create interest and to keep people engaged the whole time. And if not, you see them even looking away, looking down at their devices. And and so I do spend more time um, on that uh, to keep interest. Uh, as to how much time, sometimes a message will come out in maybe seven hours. Sometimes it'll be 20 or 25 hours. And it's it's kind of like my wife gave birth to six kids and they're all different. Every message is different. They. They have a life of their own. Some are easier, some are more difficult to pull together, but uh, it's kind of a whatever it takes. It is the first thing I do during the week. So by Monday afternoon, I transition to messages. Mine are done by Wednesday at noon. That's my deadline. It's not a, it's not a church deadline. It's a personal deadline because for me, when the weight of the sermon is hanging over me, I am not good anywhere else. I have to have that yeah. category checked off, and then I'm able to come out and say, okay, let's talk about leadership. Let's deal with other issues. But I'm a, I'm a guy who gets it done early in the week and then deals with other stuff later on. But it is the first first and highest priority of everything I do during the week. Excellent. Well, that's great. And l- let me ask you this question. When was the last bad sermon you preached when you got out of the pulpit and thought like, oh, man, that did not go as expected? How recently? <laughs> What's interesting now, after doing this for so long, there are only, maybe in a year's time, there are only two messages or so that I really, really, really love. There's maybe two or so that I really don't love, and so I feel like I'm more consistent. But almost every Saturday night afterwards, I walk away feeling like I can do a lot better than that, and I will do a lot better than that the next day. So it's rare that I'm totally satisfied, and it's rare that I'm totally devastated. But I always feel like I can do better. Whereas in the older days, you know, my swings were much broader. I was devastated a lot more and ecstatic when I probably shouldn't be. My goal is not to hit home runs every week. My goal is to faithfully deliver consistent, engaging truth. And that's, you know, you, you build a ministry doing that forever. If you can be, just be consistent and faithful. Love it. No, that's great input, too. So, I know you guys track a lot of metrics. You know, within you know Life Church, you know, mm-hmm. lots of things that are going on, lots of important things to to look at and to. I love how you guys blend. You know, I mean the, I mean the emotion and the ministry and the focus um, and the truth with real analytics as well. That, that becomes mm-hmm. an important part of measuring. What are maybe two of the the most important things that you personally pay attention to in your ministry that you track? 
two metrics. So, so there's, I mean, it, it's crazy. And people, sometimes people from the outside will criticize us being too business-like. And I just, I feel like Jesus was about his father's business. I think it's really good stewardship to measure as much as you can. There's some things you can't measure in ministry, but to be, really be wise stewards of it. And one time, Brian, I had this one guy on staff, kind of weird this way. He, he went and counted up the different things that we actually as a team measure and look at and came up with an answer, something like 980 different charts. That, oh, wow. And that's not an exaggeration. That's, those are real. It's, it was 900 and some odd charts that, that different people look at. I don't look at that much. Um, the things I look at are, might actually be considered really weird to some people. You know, there's the, the big things, you know, that everyone looks at. But some of the things that I like to look at that many don't, I, looked, I like to look at seat turns, is what something we call it, is how many times is a seat used in a building. Mm. And this is really important to me because part of what makes what we do effective is um, wisely stewarding buildings. We have now three of our 26 locations that have nine services. I don't know. There may be other churches that have nine. I'm not aware of them. But that was that's a, you know, years ago we stalled down at six, and we felt like we couldn't do seven. Seven was too many. Seven didn't work. And now we're doing nine um, in three different places. And if another church is doing three, then I'm getting three times the return out of the dollar invested in the building. That really matters. I think God honors that. And you know, I want to be really wise in stewardship. So I'm always asking, how can we take the resources we have and get more spiritual kingdom return out of them? So I look at seat turns. That's a big deal. I'm crazy into everything that results around what I call needed and known. I'll give you a real fast teaching. Um, church of, let's say, 100 people and church of, let's say, 1,000 people or 5,000 people. Why do people stay at a church of 100 people? Because they feel needed. There's something for them to do. And because if they miss a week, someone calls them. They're known. Why do they go to a church of 5,000? Any number of reasons. They like the preaching. They like the Mother's Day out. They like the missions program. They like, you know, the music, whatever. Why do they leave a church of 5,000? They don't feel needed. You know, they couldn't use their gifts, and they don't feel known. They missed three weeks, and no one noticed. So I measure a ton of things around needed and known. I want to know. I dive into every church location, and I want to know the percentage of people serving. I want to see those in life groups. I'm, I'm on a, I want to look at all the trajectory um, growth tracks of how are we engaging people. My most basic philosophy of discipleship is this. I used to think you learn in a class and then you go do. I think discipleship is doing. It's living out the teachings of Jesus. And so what I want, I want people serving and I want them growing in community around God's word. I want them in life groups and I want them using their gifts. I want them needed and known. So I look at lots and lots of metrics around needed and known, small groups and serving. And there are, again, there are probably 900 and some odd things I don't measure. Someone does. But those are the things I really care about uh, from the seat that I sit in. No, I love that. And I like the unique aspect, especially with the seats turned. I think that ability to steward your building and the finance and the investment in that and to expand that is, uh, yeah, it's really unique. And and I'm sure many of our listeners will connect with that and think through that too. So, hey, I, I appreciate all of the input. Um, Craig, and the time that you've spent with us and um, just how free you are to share your knowledge and share with other leaders and your passion for the the, the church as a whole. Um, I would love if you could just end our time today with maybe a scripture passage that's been really encouraging to you recently or something that you know would be encouraging to our listeners. 
Yeah, you know, the um, this is a, a classic scripture that is probably one of the most quoted, but I'm into it in a different way. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and all your ways acknowledge him. The breakthrough for me was looking at the Hebrew word for acknowledge, which means it's, it means as much to know him or to experience him. And so this is, was really big for me. It sounds, sounds small, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's not easy for me to do because I do like to lean on my own understanding, but instead do not lean on my understanding, but in all my ways, in everything that I do, know him, acknowledge him, seek him, experience him, surrender him. And he, not me, but he will make my path straight. That has been so crazy freeing to me to say every day in my prayer time, God, I give you my eyes, may they see what you want me to see, my mind to think on your thoughts, my lips to say what you want to be said, my ears to hear your truth, my hands to do your work, my feet to take you to where you want me to go, my heart which is deceitful, renew it, search it, give me your heart so I can glorify you. That prayer time and then to recognize that he is directing my steps as I know him. So I don't have to figure out the future. I want to always see five steps ahead of me. But God doesn't work that way. He won't show you steps three, four, and five until you take take steps one, two, and three. And what it's done is it's given me the courage in my now third decade, going into my third decade, to continue to step fast knowing he's directing that step, he's directing that step, he's directing that step. Oftentimes when I think it's me, it's him because I'm dwelling in his presence, I'm knowing him, I'm experiencing him, and he is making my path straight. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.